Go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. God's ultimate plan for your life is your personal happiness. What do you guys think of that? Does that sound nice? God does have a plan for our life, and it definitely will bring us the most joy that we, that we could ever hope for. But <coughs> there's a lot in that first sentence of American dream. And there's a lot of American dream kind of simmering in our hearts, isn't there? God doesn't ultimately have the American dream for your life. He has salvation in Jesus Christ. And that doesn't end at death. That continues on. But in our culture, personal happiness, that's, that's the lie. And if, if we don't find ourselves happy, then we have our culture's permission to do whatever it takes to get happiness. And that's, that's a deception that's crept in to my heart when I don't feel happy. And one of the reasons we are so susceptible to believing this deception is that it is mixed with a cultural belief that's, that just kind of is ingrained in all of us, that we deserve a house, a family, a white picket fence, a yard, dogs, money, health, vacations, rest, and that if we don't have those things or we don't have them to the point that we want them, something's wrong. Like, God, where are you? And, you know, we can relate with the Corinthians on this ground, on the ground of being susceptible to deception, especially when it's based on a cultural idol or a personal desire that we feel entitled to the Corinthian church was offended by Paul for not taking their money. And, you know, this was for a few reasons, you know, one of which is it's a disgrace. It was a disgrace in their time for a teacher not to be paid. It kind of stripped away his respect and his status. But for them, they also wanted a teacher that they could sort of slip in their back pocket that was socially obligated to them. And Paul wouldn't have it. And I guarantee you that, you know, this wouldn't be a present-day issue. Like, most Seattleites probably wouldn't mind if Bible teachers didn't take their money. Probably, right? <laughs> but what I'm getting at is, these, is that the Corinthians believed in this cultural idol. And because Paul flew in the face of that, they fell prey and were vulnerable to false teaching. You know, and Paul doesn't actually prescribe teachers not being paid. 
You know, he actually argues that local pastors should be paid by their congregations. That's not really his point. His point is that for him personally, as an apostle of Jesus to the Gentiles, he could not take money. He had to present it free of charge. That was his personal conviction. Their church was offended on cultural grounds that Paul wouldn't let them be his patrons. And these guys just played it up. They're like, look at this guy. He's not letting you do what you want to do. So we're just going to slip in and feed you what we want to feed you because, you know, you're already vulnerable because you're offended by Paul. That's why, you know, with us, you know, one of the, the deceptions that's crept in is the prosperity gospel. That says God, you know, with the right amount of faith, will reward you with wealth and health. And if, you, if you're not getting those things, you don't have enough faith. That's wrong. That's not scriptural. But we kind of like that, right? Because most of us want that. We want the good life. We want health. We want wealth. And obviously those aren't terrible things to desire. But when those are equated with faith in God, that's not right. So the teachers who present the prosperity gospel or any other false teaching, they know that they're going to get an audience with us because that's what we want. And a lot of times that's what we worship with our thoughts, with our desires, with our, with our um, scrolling redfin and wishing we could afford that $15 million mansion on North Capitol Hill that's for sale. I don't know, that'd be a lot of maintenance. But <laughs> to be clear, I'm not saying that, you know, all of culture's presentations to us are evil. You know, just defy all cultural things. But if you're not aware, cultural ideals can fuse themselves with what we believe about God and how we think life should be. And we need to be aware of that and be able to check that with Scripture. And so we are all, like we saw last week, like Eve, we're all susceptible to preferring teachers that suit our own personal or cultural desires. And because of that, we're susceptible to deception. That includes myself. That includes you. We, we need to watch out. We need to be able to submit everything we're hearing and taking in to a higher authority, which is God's word. So we must look at God's word for what types of teachers to listen to. And I recognize this is a very meta thing that I'm doing because I'm teaching you right now. And believe me, it weighs. It weighs heavily. And we need not only judge our teachers' messages, but their motives. You know, last week we learned that true teachers present the true Jesus. And this week's passage helps us create sort of a deal-breaker list of motives that we should look for in our teachers. So since Christians are susceptible to deception, we should listen to teachers who have Christ-like motives. All right, let's go ahead and read 2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 15. Paul writes, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches 
by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anybody. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained, and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning, Lord, that you would remove my words and place them with yours by your Holy Spirit, that you would bring your word to bear on our hearts, Lord, that you would crush barriers, strongholds, keeping us from a true knowledge of the true Jesus. Be with us, encourage us by your word this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul had a blanket policy in place. He, as a rule of thumb, would not take money from churches that he was presently serving at. So if he was in Corinth, he wouldn't accept their money. And this held true in other cities as well. If he was in Thessalonica, he wouldn't take their money. But, you know, he did have, he was able to receive, um, according to his conviction, support from abroad. So if he was in Corinth, he said, okay, I'll receive gifts from these other churches in these other cities. And he would even receive support from Corinth if he was being sent to another city. So say he wanted to go off to his next destination. He would receive money for that trip. But as a rule of thumb, if he was, you know, working and, and teaching on a weekly basis in a city, he just wouldn't accept those people's money so that um, as, you know, his policy, which was, you know, based on his call as an apostle, that, you know, we've been freely given the gospel. So he, he would not present this free gospel except free of charge. And that was his policy. But the Corinthian culture, I kind of didn't jive with for reasons I've already mentioned but they were offended by that. It was a disgrace for them to be taught by a respectable teacher without receiving money for it. And um, that goes back to just the culture and sort of the, the norms and the ideals um, related to status um, and social, the, the, the social etiquette that Paul decided not to abide by. And so because the Corinthians were in a place of, of already being offended and, and sort of vulnerable in their offense of Paul, these other false teachers came in. And that was their window. They said, okay, whoa, look, Paul, he's just offensive. Like, what is this guy doing? What a jerk. Listen to what we have to say. 
you know, we're, we're cool too. So that's how they got in. But Paul was different than these guys. His motives give us some examples of what we should look for in our own teacher's motives. So in verse 7, firstly, since Christians are susceptible to deception, we should listen to teachers who are motivated by selflessness and not by self-glorification. We need to listen to teachers who are motivated by selflessness, not by self-glorification. Let's reread verse 7. He says, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? So Paul didn't take advantage of the fringe benefits available to him. He just forewent them. He instead chose to receive gifts from abroad as they came, as well as work with his hands. He would work side jobs. He was a tent maker, um, and the latest scholarship seems to be indicating that that's related to leather work, so kind of a dirty job, um, you know, one where, you know, you got real messy and, and you had to work long hours. And there's a, there's a guy named Lucian who writes about those who labored with their hands. He says that they were personally inconspicuous, getting meager and illiberal returns, humble-witted, an insignificant figure in public, neither sought by your friends nor feared by your enemies nor envied by your fellow citizens. Nothing but just a laborer, one of the swarming rabble, ever cringing to the man above. You know, so Paul enters that culture and he says, yes, that's perfect. I'm going to be that. Because he knew that that would fly in the face of these cultural idols that the Corinthians had um, that were, you know, strongholds in their life. For him to be in poverty and humility was the perfect object lesson for the Corinthians. You know, to do what he did and to not do what he didn't do, he was sort of a walking sandwich board of the gospel. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be poor. I'm going to have a rough time. But I'm also presenting you the gospel. And that's going to exalt you because it's so good. And it's not about me. So he refuses... Um, to give up this object lesson because it preached and it flew in the face of, of their idols. But these other guys, like we've mentioned before, they decided that enjoying these fringe benefits, getting paid, would suit them just fine. And so they came in and they ripped Paul's reputation while at the same time enjoying the benefits he refused. And that's when the Corinthians were taken in. So in verse 7, he ironically asks them, have I sinned against you? Because I haven't taken your money? Paul took on poverty in order to properly teach them the gospel. So verse 12, if we want to look at that, betrays the motives of these other Paul's teachers. Paul says, What I do I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. If you have a different version, this verse is grammatically, like, one, one commentator was like, how to make sense of this long and confusing sentence? <laughs> but it seems to indicate that all they wanted was to be thought of as cool as Paul. They didn't care about the Corinthians at all. 
They were at the forefront of their message, and therefore their message was garbage. Justin mentioned last week, and came from the book of Jude, but Jude describes false teachers in this way. That they are waterless clouds. And another image he uses is that they are shepherds feeding themselves. Basically, they're pointless. They're clouds that don't give rain, and they're shepherds that are the worst shepherds in the world because shepherds are supposed to care about the feeding of their sheep. But these people, they don't. They they only care about themselves and what they look like. And you contrast that with Paul, who was never at the forefront of his message. He removed his own needs from the picture so that they could be exalted by knowing the gospel of Jesus. You know, how could they know he was genuine? Because there was nothing in it for him. You know, his only concern was for them, their spiritual state. He didn't take any of these fringe benefits. You know, and we in our day, we need, we need to beware of teachers who seek glory for themselves. We need to listen to teachers like Paul who know that it's not about them but about the building up of others toward Jesus. So next we find in verses 8 through 11 that since we are susceptible to to deception, we should listen to teachers who are motivated by loving relationship rather than short-term gain. By loving relationship rather than short-term gain. Let's read verses 8 through 11 again. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. So we see how Paul got by while he was in Corinth and when he was in need. He received gifts from abroad. Specifically, this is probably the city of Philippi. You guys have heard of the Philippian church, the letter to the Philippians. This this was that church that sent him gifts. And the grammar seems to to indicate that this was a one-time gift, that it basically supplemented his need after him having worked on the side as well. And Paul says, I robbed other churches. <laughs> that's, a, that's a strong statement. He, he says, to serve you, I had to rob these people. And his, you know, the, this, these hard words seem to indicate his being saddened, you know, that they would be so readily taken in and would distrust him you know, based on these false accusations. But this situation and their, you know, offense of him does not in the least convince him to give up this policy that he had. Um, He sort of explains this policy in 1 Corinthians 9, that he personally felt that he needed to present the gospel free of charge. And so rather than shy away from this policy, we see him in these verses basically just settle in for the long haul. Like, You think you being offended by me is going to stop me from doing this? I'll tell you what. 
I'm just going to keep on doing it, and I'm not going anywhere. And verse 9, he says, I refrained, and I will, I will continue to refrain from burdening you. And if you jump to verse 12, he says, what I do, I will continue to do. And then it comes to a head in verse 10 where he says, you know, you're offended by what the neighbors think. I'll tell you what. I'm going to make sure that the entire region knows about this. That's what Achaia is. It's the region. It's sort of the Puget Sound region compared to Seattle. You know, Achaia was the region and Corinth was the city. And he says, I'm going to make sure everyone knows about this because that's how much I believe and am convicted that this is what I need to do to go against the grain of your idols, to strip you from the idols that you want me to bow down to. I'm not going to do it. And he says, you know, why? He asks them, you know, why am I doing this? I'm doing it because I actually love you. Verse 11. You know, contrary to what these people are telling you, contrary to what they're saying, I actually love you. He describes his love as one of a father to a child. In uh, chapter 12, verse 14, he says, you know, I'm coming back. This will be the third time I'm coming. I'm still not going to take your money because I'm your dad. I'm your dad. Why would, I'm not, I'm not going to take your money. Dads don't take money from their kids. Good dads, anyway. My dad's dad actually, I guess, took money from him off his dresser for alcohol. But he wasn't a good dad. Good dads don't take money from their kids. You know, these folks are taking advantage of you, but I'm not, and I'm not going to. In verse 20, we see that that's what they were indeed doing. He says, you know, forbear, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you. You know, why were they tolerating this? There's, um, if you guys have ever been to Rome or any major European city, I think this is sort of a general thing that happens. Street vendors or these sort of wandering peddlers who sell all sorts of trinkets. You know, usually they set up shop in like the, right in front of the Eiffel Tower or, you know, right in front of the Colosseum. You know, so you go and you're, you're just like standing and like trying to take in the beauty of this ancient building. And here are these guys selling you what we called splatty pigs. And there are these little gelatinous pigs filled with water attached to a gelatinous string. And they'd, they'd sell it to you and you, you'd play with it. And, you, and they'd try and sell it to you for like five euros. And you're like, I'm trying to look at the Colosseum. Like, leave me alone. And you're also looking and there's these LED flying, uh, you know, spinny things that are flying up in front of the Colosseum. They're, and these guys are selling those too, you know, alongside of, you know, fake designer purses and that kind of thing. And you're just like, will you just leave us alone? We're trying to, like, take in the beauty of this place. And you're just trying to, like, make a couple bucks on unsuspecting tourists who have a few extra, you know, euros. But it's funny, if you're, if you're there and you see the police arrive, because 
you know, the police try and control this kind of thing. You know, the police arrive on the scene, and we would literally see these guys, like, book it, roll up their blanket full of these trinkets, and, like, throw it over their shoulders and just, like, sprint down the street and, like, around the corner, and they're gone. And you're just like, whoa. Like, clearly they know, like, what they're selling is garbage, and they're, they shouldn't be doing it. And it was, it was just funny. And you compare that with, you know, we went to Florence a couple years ago, and there's this bridge. It's called the Ponte Vecchio, and it's the only bridge that wasn't destroyed in World War II. Um, by German bombing, bombing. And it's just old and beautiful and uh, just a cultural landmark. And there's these uh, merchants that have been there for basically hundreds of years selling, like, top-notch gold. And, you know, you walk down, walk across the bridge, and their shops are, like, they look like old briefcases, like, with almost like in Harry Potter when Professor Lupin is packing up his office and it's going into this beautifully ornate like briefcase thing like that's what their shop fronts look like and it's it's just beautiful you should like research it look at images um but you know those people compared with these you know street peddlers just trying to make a buck they're in it for the long haul you know they've been there they will be there they're going to continue to be there indefinitely because what they're selling is good quality stuff. And it's, they're in it for the good of the neighborhood. It's, it's like a beautiful thing happening. Paul is motivated by long-term relationship. Listen to what he says in chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. You can turn there if you want. He says, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. You know, Paul loved these people dearly. And he was willing to wait and sit back and just continue to plod along in the way that Jesus told him to until they saw it clearly. The teachers we listen to need to be those who, like Paul, are in it for the long haul, willing to give of themselves, willing to put in the time to love us. You know, these need to be teachers who don't cater to our itching ears just to look good, just to get in. You know, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul warns, and he says, there's a time coming when all people will want are teachers that are willing to scratch the itch that we have in our ears. I wish I could hear that God wanted to reward me with health and wealth. There's teachers for that. I wish I could hear that that sin wasn't really a big deal. There's teachers for that. The Corinthians wanted a teacher to put in their back pocket. They wanted to be Paul's patrons so that they could bask in the glory of having an apostle that was socially obligated to them. But Paul knew they, they needed something else. They needed a father. You know, he couldn't afford to be in their back pocket. And this was for their benefit. And we can't afford for our teachers to be in our back pocket either. We need our teachers to hear from God's word and to present it to us truly 
Do the teachers you listen to ever offend your preconceived ideas? Why do you listen to those you listen to? If you're a Christian, be sure to listen to those who don't bow to your own idols and instead will stick with the truth of Scripture even when the going gets tough. Okay, finally, since Christians are susceptible to deception, we should listen to teachers motivated by living out the gospel rather than by outward appearances. We need teachers that are willing to live out the gospel rather than are concerned with outward appearances. I'm going to reread verse 7, and then we'll read verses 12 through 15 again. He says, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? And verse 12, What I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You know, if you had Paul in a room, in a circle, and you had these other guys, and you were interviewing them, and you said, hey, Paul, um, you know, why do you do what you do? Like, what's, uh, what's your motivation here? Like, what, puts, what lights your fire? And, um, you know, he would say, I'm motivated by the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. That's all I want for anybody. Whether they be in power or on the street, it's for everybody. And if you ask the same question to these other guys, they would say, um, you know, I, I just, I would just love to be considered as cool as him. That's, that's my goal. That's what lights my fire. I want to be, I want to be as cool as that guy. You can see that that, there's no comparison there. You know, one is concerned with the spread of the good news of Jesus, and one is concerned with how they look related to him. These false teachers are only concerned with outward appearances, whereas Paul, he reluctantly talks about himself. If you remember back in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. And that foolishness that he mentions, that kind of kicks off what he thinks is kind of foolish, which is talking about himself. And it doesn't end until chapter 12, verse 11. He says, I've been a fool. You forced me to it. So basically everything we're reading right now, Paul's like, oh, I have to talk about myself. He does it reluctantly, but only because he has to. Because these folks were taken in by these other, and he had to clarify the truth. So Paul is motivated by the spread of the good news of Jesus. That's why he doesn't accept their money. He was a living picture of the gospel. You know, he wants to decrease, like John the Baptist said, while Jesus increased in the lives of, the, of his hearers. You know, Paul says, was I wrong not to not take your money, even though in its essence that's what the gospel of Jesus is? 
Jesus lowered himself to exalt us. That's what I'm doing. Can you see that? We don't really know exactly. Um, we can't be 100% sure who these guys were. Um, you know, many theorize that they were the Judaizers, which, are, which were teachers in that day who you know, presented Jesus, but they presented Jesus along with the whole Jewish law and said, well, yeah, Jesus, but, you know, you also have to keep, keep this whole thing, too. They said, Jesus and the law. Or, or they might have said, the law and Jesus. But they didn't say simply Jesus. And Paul, you know, no matter who these guys were, whether they were the Judaizers or not, he has these harsh words for them. He says they're false apostles. They're deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And he says something interesting. He's like, verse 14, no wonder, because Satan does the same thing. He says, look at Satan. Remember back in the garden? Like, he's a deceiver. You know, in the garden, he looked like a snake. But it's, it says here that he disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, do you guys realize Satan is not ugly? He's a good-looking guy. You know, he's not, he doesn't look like Sauron. He looks like, <laughs> he looks like Galadriel. He doesn't look like Ganondorf. He looks like Zelda. And he doesn't look like Voldemort. He looks like... Oh, I don't know about Dumbledore. <laughs> I don't know, Fleur de la Cour. Someone, someone beautiful. Um, he disguises himself as an angel of light. He looks good. He looks good. He's not an idiot. He's not going to appear in your life like, I want you to believe something bad. You know, he says, hey, what about this? You don't need to trust everything the Bible says, especially the stuff you don't like. That sounds nice. That feels good. Yeah, I could, I could go with that. And it says here in verse 15 that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So it's no wonder that false teaching arises from inside the church. That's why we have to be careful. Satan and his servants preach many versions of the gospel. You know, one might be a gospel that says, you know, you don't, you don't need a savior. <laughs> you know, that's, that's good news. You're not a sinner. What is sin anyways? That's just an ancient term. You know, another might be a gospel that says, yeah, you're a sinner. You're the worst sinner ever. And God doesn't care about you. He, he didn't do anything about it. You're screwed. There are plenty of others who might say, you need to clean up your life before you come to Jesus. Yeah, you should come to Jesus, but first, you got to fix yourself. You got to get all dressed up, you know, figure out that whole life thing that you've been so bad at before you come to Jesus. 
Another might say, will you quit praying about that already? You, you prayed about that thing one too many times. Like that, that's a cutoff. See if you can fix that issue before you talk to God about it. Because those are all fake gospels that get presented to us. They're lies. And they need to be brought before the truth. You know, what is something that Satan desperately doesn't want to happen? He doesn't want people to know and to love the real Jesus and believe the real gospel, which says that although we are all sinners, deserving of judgment, in need of a Savior, that God has provided himself as that Savior. He's done all the work. And we can rest in the righteousness that Jesus has given to us. You know, whether you're a believer in Jesus today or not, this gospel is for you. You and me, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared believe. But you're also more loved than you ever dared hope. And that's when the cross of Jesus comes to bear. We're, we're so bad. We're so, we got such ickiness inside of us that Jesus, that God had to die. But he loves us so much that he was willing to die. We can tell a teacher's motivation on the basis of what they say about the gospel. Are they excited about the gospel? Is that why they're teaching? If you're listening to Bible teachers, the reason they're teaching should be because of the gospel. Do they exemplify the gospel? Do their lives look like Jesus? Do they look like Paul? Are they humbling themselves so that others might be exalted? Or are they just receiving the fringe benefits of their office? And do they teach the gospel? You know, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We must beware of being influenced by cultural trends that shy away from the beauty of the gospel. That has to be our center point. And we've seen in this passage that, you know, since we are susceptible to deception, we must listen to teachers who have Christ-like motives. You know, these include being motivated by giving of ourselves and not taking glory for ourselves. Motivated by loving relationship rather than short-term gain. And motivated by picturing and living out and illustrating the gospel. You know, it's difficult to judge a person's motives. And, you know, thankfully, we have the help of the Holy Spirit. And we have the help of God's Word that can help us. You know, we have in our day access to as many teachers as we want. And 
That's great. You know, but we also have to, we have to be careful. We have to make sure the teachers we're listening to not only present the true Jesus, but are motivated by presenting the true Jesus. That it's not about them. And it's hard. You know, a, a simple litmus test is, you know, does this person you're listening to make you or, or lead you to rely more heavily on Jesus or themselves? You know, with the right motives and message, in 2,000 years, this world has been turned upside down by the gospel, the true gospel. And we can be thankful that in 2,000 years, Satan hasn't fully diluted the gospel. You know, we've received the true gospel in our lives. That's so good. We can thank God for that. You know, in spite of Satan being real and disguising himself as an angel of light, you know, God has kept the gospel for you. So we can ask God for wisdom in discerning the teaching of his word. We can pray for our teachers, pray for myself, Matt, Justin, and anyone who you are submitting yourself to under, you know, the, the teaching. Pray that God would help them have the right motives and be teaching the correct message. And we can also pray that God would raise up more teachers to lovingly present his unadulterated gospel to a world that's desperate for it. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the gospel of Jesus that is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It's not just the A, but it's the A to Z of this life and the life to come. Lord, when we are in a state, a season of believing lies, Lord, help us to recenter our, our very lives on that truth. You know, that we are deserving of judgment, but you have t- taken on that judgment yourself. Bless us this morning as we fellowship and, and worship you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.